Well, good morning. It's good to have you all here this morning. Uh, if you join us online, you may have noticed it looks different today. We're aware of that. We're in transition between spaces. So some of the technology has already moved to the new building, but we'll get that restored uh, back to the quality that we've had. So just bear with us on that. Um, if you are here in person, especially glad to have you. I know we have some first time visitors and just honored that you would come spend this time with us. Um, we are um, in, gonna be in actually in the book of Joshua chapter five, and then we're gonna transition to uh, where Mike was just reading into Deuteronomy chapter eight, where we'll spend most of our time together. So let me just give you kind of a couple quick updates um, and, then we'll, and then we'll dig into the scriptures together. So um, about 10, um, 12 days ago, about a week and a half ago, our contractor had completed everything in our new building according to the specs and the design, the drawings. And then we began kind of that final per, uh, permitting inspection phase. And uh, in the, that process, the city has added some things to the project. That's why we're not in the new building right now. Um, contractor immediately responded to that and got on top of it. So as of this last Wednesday, all that stuff had been addressed. And so we're, um, now we're in kind of this final five to six step um, inspection process to get our certificate of occupancy. We've made it about halfway through that. Um, so not making any projections. All I'm saying is be watching for updates this week. Uh, but that's the reason why we were unable to get into our building this past Friday and then be in there today. Um, but I wanted to just remind you guys, especially those of you who've been um, on this journey with us. We've been actually on this journey for four years in terms of the all-in journey leading up to this moment, we step into the new building. And our prayer all along from the book of Ephesians um, has been this. Um, as Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, that God would do these things. He says in uh, Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power um, at work within us, to him be the glory. And so on one hand, we go through a, a week like we had last week and we think God isn't meeting our expectations. He's not doing what we expected him to do, what we thought he was going to do. And we have to be reminded of our prayer all along is that God wouldn't do what we've expected. He wouldn't do what we've asked. He would do far more abundantly than we could have ever asked for or imagined. And so we, we hit a week like we hit this last week. And rather than sitting in that disappointment and that frustration, we look at it now as an opportunity to celebrate God's good. Like, do we believe that God's wisdom is higher than ours? Okay, then, then embedded in his wisdom is his timing. And so while our excitement and our timing would be, we're already in the new space, God, his timing is unfolding for us in a way that is for our good and his glory. And so we wanna, we wanna celebrate that this morning. We wanna sit in frustration. We wanna celebrate God's timing as he unfolds his plan for our church. Now, one of the things that was happening um, over the course of the last week and a half, just personally, is that I've been digging into the book of Joshua. And so if you've been on the journey with us, you know um, that, that, that what we've looked at together is God's movement of the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt through the wilderness into this promised land. And we've drawn from that parallels to our own story that has guided us along this way. Well, there's the, first of all, it's not coincidental um, that we see a lot of parallels between the stories because it's the same God leading his people. That's the way God leads his people, right? So we look at what God's doing with the nation of Israel in the wilderness, crossing the Jordan. We go, okay, that's what God does when he leads his people. But in that, as I've been looking into the book of Joshua and we left off in chapter four, last time we were in this together, read through the entire book and noticed that God spends this real, this intentional season of time preparing the hearts of his people to enter into the promised land. 
It's not like they hit the Jordan River, a door opens, they step in and everything's hunky-dory. Like, no, there's this process of God preparing their hearts, reminding them of the journey, getting them ready for what lies ahead. And so I got together with our pastors this week and she said, guys, look at what I'm reading here in Joshua. And we agreed together that what God's doing in our church, he's preparing us for what he has in store for us. And so over the next four weeks, we're gonna go through the book of Joshua and look at what God did in the, in the hearts of his people, preparing them to step into the promised land, preparing them to walk into battle and preparing them to establish the nation of Israel. And so that's, that's what we're gonna do together. So we're gonna be in the book of Joshua here um, in chapter five. Now, what's cool about chapter five is they've entered into the promised land. They've set up some stones as a monument uh, that, that if any of their children would ever return to this stack of stones, they would have been reminded of God's faithfulness. And the next step really is Jericho. Like the first thing God's gonna call them to do is, is to step into battle in Jericho. But in between those two moments in the story in chapter five, some really significant things happen. First of all, chapter five begins with a, with a circumcision ceremony. And so circumcision was this outward mark of this inward faith and trust in who God was. It was a symbol of the covenant relationship between God and his people. He had made a promise to his people and he would be faithful to deliver it. And so today in the church, baptism is our mark of circumcision. That's our outward expression of our inward relationship with God and the covenant that he has made with us that all who trust in Christ will be forgiven of their sins and guaranteed eternal life. And so what's cool is we actually got to have a baptism in our service today. And then the very next thing that they're gonna do is they're gonna celebrate the Passover meal and we're actually gonna do communion later in our service. And so now what we're gonna do is pick this up in Joshua chapter five, verse 10. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gogol, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So we've got a significant transition now. Not only are we transitioning from wandering in the wilderness to taking possession of the promised land, but this is the transition between living off of manna and now living off the produce of the land. Remember that was part of the promise. The land flowing with milk and honey, land rich with produce. And so now this is the moment where the nation of Israel transitions, right, from manna to eating off of the land. It's a significant moment. And what's, what helps us understand the significance of the moment is to understand that in Deuteronomy 8, God gave the nation of Israel specific instructions on how to enter into the promised land. He gave them some things to think about. He gave them some questions to ask of themselves. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna go uh, to the book of Deuteronomy chapter eight in just a moment. So what's happening right now is they just had a circumcision ceremony. Now they're celebrating the Passover meal. And it's important to note that up until this time, they had not entered into the season of, of, of the nation of Israel where they're celebrating the Passover every year. This is in fact the third Passover. So the first Passover was the night of the Exodus, right? So, so the, the, the generation that followed Moses before they left Egypt had this Passover meal where the father of each household went out and selected um, a lamb without blemish, sacrificed this lamb, sprinkled the blood over the doorpost, then they had a meal together. Okay, and so to, to remember that moment of God's rescue, um, God established this Passover meal. The second time they take this Passover is at the foot of Mount Sinai, right before they break camp. 
Okay, so this is the third time now that the nation of Israel will celebrate the Passover. Now going forward, this Passover meal will become part of their annual celebration to the point where we get to Christ here on earth. And we know that it was Thursday night with his disciples, right? Sharing the Passover meal where he institutes communion. He says, hey, in this Passover meal, this unleavened bread that we've been breaking now for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, Christ says, that's my body. This represents my body, which is broken for you. And as they, they passed the cup around in the upper room with the disciples, they got to the fourth cup, the cup of redemption. And Christ said, drink of it all of you, for this is my blood which will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And he instituted communion there out of that Passover meal in the upper room. And so here now the nation of Israel is, is taking the Passover meal. They're celebrating the Passover meal in the promised land. And the transition now is away from manna to eating the produce of the land. So for them, you think about this, the, the ones who were leading this meal were kids at the first Passover. That many of them alive today may have remembered as a kid hearing maybe the, the cries of the families in Egypt losing their firstborn children. They probably remember just the, the, maybe even the excitement in the air at midnight when they're leaving out of Egypt and leaving in haste. They probably remember the look on, on their dad's face when they get to the Red Sea and turn and look and there's, a, there's, a, there's an army chasing them but also just how exciting it was to pass through the sea with water separated, crossing over on dry land. They're remembering all these things. Now that generation is the one leading the Passover. And so if we go back to Deuteronomy chapter eight, God's instruction for the nation of Israel, we'll see together what God is doing. So in Deuteronomy eight, chapter eight, verse one, we read, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now embedded in these three verses is a reminder of the promise that started this whole thing. This promise that God would multiply. I want you to think about all the times that you're aware of where this idea of multiply comes up in the Bible. So the idea of multiplication or God multiplying goes all the way back to creation itself. God creates Adam and Eve as image bearers meant to steward his kingdom on earth. Wherever they went, they were a reflection of the character and the heart of God something that trees couldn't do, something that the sunset couldn't do, something that the stars couldn't do. All of God's creation can bring him glory and reflect his glory, but the thing that, the, that Adam and Eve could do was actually reflect his image, his character. And they were commanded to do what? Be fruitful and multiply, right? Be fruitful and multiply across the face of God's creation. Wherever there, you would see God, the, the children of Adam and Eve, you would see image bearers that gets distorted by their sin and their disobedience towards God. 
And so now the image passed on is a distorted image of God. Right, you see this, a, fraction, a fractured image of who God is in the children of Adam and Eve. And to the nation of Israel, he told them when they get to the promised land, be fruitful and multiply. We also get to the church, the era of the church and Jesus' commission to the disciples in Matthew was what? Go, make disciples of the nations, right? Be fruitful and multiply as my disciples. We get to the book of Acts chapter two, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit now falls on the disciples there as they're praying. And Peter stands up and he preaches the gospel and 3,000 were added to the church that day. And the church has been multiplying ever since. You're here today as a part of that multiplication, that, that fruitfulness of the gospel going forward. We get to the book of Revelation and we hear that, that when God's people gather together in Revelation, it's gonna be this roaring sound like a great multitude. So this has been God's plan all along. This is what God is doing through the Bible, through his redemption story. And so now here he reminds the nation of Israel, right, what, that you would go into the promised land and live, but not just live, you would be fruitful and multiply. This is the promise God has made to them. And he swore it to their fathers. And so as we look at this promise, we see that there's some things here that the nation of Israel um, is, is to ask of themselves. Starting first with this question, are we keeping the Lord's commandments? I mean, twice he says, right? Starting in verse one, the whole commandment I command you today, you shall be careful to do. Be careful to do it. He mentions it again. He says this, that he was testing them, that, they would, that he would know what was in their heart. How would he know whether or not they would keep the Lord's commandments or not? You see how exciting it would be just to go running headlong into the promised land and lose sight of the commandments of the Lord. To just take off and we're here, we've made it, this is exciting, and completely forget the commandments of the Lord. And, and God says, listen, when you enter into the promised land, I want you to take some inventory have you humbly and, been, and very carefully been obeying my commandments? So we think about the commandments of the Lord and there's a couple of different ways to think about the commandments of the Lord. Um, four categories come to mind. First of all, we have moral commandments. Thou shalt not murder. It's a moral commandment, right? Shall not commit adultery. Shall not bear false witness. But we also have commandments that, that guide and govern our worship. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. When Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, he, he, he responded with a commandment of worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. But we also have communal commandments that, that govern the way we relate to one another because he followed that up with what? And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In John chapter 13, he says, hey, a new commandment I give that you would actually love one another, church. And by this, by your love for one another, obeying this communal commandment, the whole world will know you're my disciples. We also have missional commandments, right? Be fruitful and multiply. It applies to us in the way we live this mission in our everyday lives that we would go make disciples of the nations. That's part of obeying the commandments of God that as a Christ follower, you are sharing the gospel with those you come in contact with. And so we think about what it means to obey the commandments of the Lord. All of these come to mind. And God is telling the nation of Israel, I want you to be careful and mindful that you're obeying, humbly obeying all of my commandments. That you don't just run into this land flowing with milk and honey and forget my commandments. The second thing that he's mentioning here is that they would take inventory and that they would learn this important lesson. Man does not live off of bread alone. 
okay? Now, this practical lesson um, was part of manna to begin with. The nation of Israel was struggling to figure out how to find food and water in the desert. God provides for them in a miraculous way that had no logical explanation. It wasn't like he led them into a geographical region that had this manna growing on manna trees, and so it made sense. No, what God said is, hey, I'm gonna miraculously provide for you every morning. You're gonna wake up and you're gonna have enough. Don't take more than enough, just take enough. And then I want you to wake up the next morning and I want you to take just enough. And what God was teaching the nation of Israel is that they wouldn't survive and thrive based on the work of their own hands and their own strength and what they could do for themselves, but they would literally be dependent upon God to provide their daily provision. This extends well beyond food, but the lesson here was what? That you would learn as my people, you do not live off of bread alone, but on what? The very words of God. Think about it. You wake up in the morning, it's time to collect manna. Where do we go to find manna? The manna tree? There are no manna trees. And you're reminded of what? The promise of God, the words of God. And so every day you lived, you breathed, your, your caloric intake was a result of God fulfilling his promise through his words. And the third thing was this, that the nation would sufficiently remember all that God had done over the previous 40 years. He says this, verse two, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. It's an important part of taking possession of the promised land. Stop and remember. Remember all of it. Now, some of these people um, were kids, little bitty kids, maybe even infants when these things were unfolding. It was important for them to stop and people who could remember to, to give a testimony and share. Hey, let's don't forget what God did. Remember how God miraculously provided water for us in the desert. Remember how God miraculously provided everything that we needed. Stop and take inventory. Don't just run headlong into this promised land and forget all that God has done to bring you here. Stop and ask yourselves these questions. Now, I think the parallels between where we are as a church and where the nation of Israel is are unmistakable. I think it's so important for us I don't know all that God is doing with his timing in this new building, but I do believe at least this is happening. He's preparing our hearts to step into the new building, to be reminded that his promise is not a promise for sheetrock, paint, and tile. It's a promise for souls to be saved, to be lives to be redeemed, marriages to be reconciled, addictions to be broken, the plan of the enemy to be thwarted. That's the promise he's laid before us. He can fulfill that promise in this room, that room, or out in the parking lot. Okay, so, so as God is preparing our hearts to step into this promise of this next season of Solid Rock Church, I wanna start with this. We, we've talked about how our goal is not to become a big church. Well, why do we create more space? Well, because God's command to us is to be fruitful and multiply. Like if God's gonna work in this church and through this church, multiplication's gonna happen. That's a good thing. Not because we wanna become the church across town, Right, not because we're trying to become this bigger church with more bells and whistles. We just simply wanna see the kingdom multiply. So God has called us to create more space for more people to be a part of that. Again, we can do that in the parking lot. This past week, we were talking about moving vision night and when we realized we couldn't get into the new building, like, well, what do we do? We could do it outside. We could, what, what, what do we do? And we said, hey, let's just do it outside. Of course, this was before the, uh, the forecast turned to storms for the weekend. Like, let's just do it outside because the sentiment was this. Just because we can't get into a new space shouldn't keep God's people from worshiping him. 
Like, and actually, if we can't worship him in the parking lot, we're never gonna worship him in the new building. Right? So I just apply that same sentiment to us here today. And let's, right, we can worship him here in this moment. We'll never be prepared to worship him over there. Kevin was baptized today. I know Kevin wanted to be baptized in the new building, right? That'd have been cool. That'd been awesome. And so we gave him the option. Like, hey, do you want to wait? No, why? Because that's not what it's about. It's about his commitment to the Lord, him making that public today, regardless of where we're doing that. If the baptismal didn't work, had a leak in it, we would just go down the pond. Like, it's going to happen today. He's like, how about the pond? If you want it to happen, we're going to make it happen today. point is this, there's no coincidence here in what God's doing. He's preparing our hearts to step into his promises of saving souls, redeeming lives, reconciling, breaking chains, thwarting the plan of the enemy. That's God's plan, to multiply his kingdom on earth through the church. That's his promise to us. And so the nation of Israel is reminded to stop as they step into the promised land and remember this promise for God, from God. And this is what he is doing. The first question is, are we keeping his commandments? I would, ask, I would ask this question. Have we sufficiently stopped and acknowledged what God has done over the last 40 years? That's important. Not everybody in this room, matter of fact, almost nobody in this room has been a part of the solid rock journey since the beginning. But did you know that this year marks the 40th year of our solid rock journey? I had no idea until this past week, I was digging the book of Joshua. I was like, what's the significance of 40 years? I wonder when we started, and I was reading um, part of the biography from Dr. Miller, who was the pastor, um, who was really a significant part of God starting this campus out here. And I was looking at the date, 81. This is the 40th year. More, more than a coincidence, right? We see what God is, is doing here. There's no mistake that those things are happening. But we have to stop and we have to acknowledge. Some of you, it's just like your first day here. Some of you have been here for four years. Some of you have been, maybe a couple of you have been here for 40. But it's so important. We stop and we give testimony to all that God has done over the last 40 years or we won't be prepared for the next 40. We'll miss him. We'll look past him. We'll give glory to someone else. And God says, stop. Acknowledge what I have done before you take another step forward. And then this final question, have we learned as a church that man does not live off of bread alone? We do not live off of what we can do for ourselves. The church does not live off of money alone. It does not live off of buildings alone. It does not live off of the sweat and commitment of volunteers alone. It doesn't live off of fancy music alone or great preaching alone. Unless that preaching is the word of God. Why? Because we exist. We flourish by being nourished by the very words of God. That's what makes this time in here powerful and that will be what makes that time over there powerful. If we ever lose sight of that, we've missed it. That's the lesson that the nation of Israel learned through the wilderness and God said, let's make sure we learn this lesson before we go into Jericho. Let's make sure we learn this lesson before we take one step further. And I just ask that of us church, have we learned that as a church, we do not live off of bread alone. Now we're gonna get a couple of litmus tests here. Verse 10 is gonna help us to begin to think about whether or not we have learned. Verse 10 says this, and you shall eat and be full. So whenever you actually enjoy God fulfilling his promises and you shall bless the Lord. That's the idea of praise the Lord. So when you experience God fulfilling his promises to you and, and in the church, there, there's two options here. 
You're either going to eat and be satisfied and go, look what we did. Or you're going to do what? You're gonna, your heart's going to erupt in praise. You're going to say, look at how good God is. Look at what God has done. Our praise will be a measurement of whether or not we've learned these lessons. You know, this, we had the, the songs all picked out and everything all kind of picked out for this morning thinking we were going to be in the new space. We're like, well, what do we do now? And Jason and Evan, we could talk like, we're going to do what we had planned. Why is being over there the thing that's gonna make us excited about God? Like, why would, why would we change anything? We're gonna sing songs about the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, the victory of God. We're gonna be just as if not more excited about what God is doing here as we would be over there. And so a litmus test will be where our hearts are. Can we praise God regardless of where we are? If not, we're not ready to go over there. I promise you, the only thing that room will do will be distract you from God. You'll be more impressed with sheetrock and paint than you are with God himself. Now in verse 11, we're gonna get a warning. He says to the nation of Israel, verse 11, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, And when your hearts and flocks, excuse me, your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. Hear that word over and over again? Then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Here's the warning. When you step into God's promises, it's easy to lose sight and forget the Lord. He goes on to say, don't forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. So the idea of wealth here is not monetary gain. It's the wealth of the land, the produce, the the vibrant agriculture, great places to build houses with springs of water, this land flowing with milk and honey. The warning is what? Don't forget God. And a good litmus test is who are you giving the credit to? Are you sitting back going, oh, look what we built. Look what we did. Oh, look at this hard journey we took. Look at how our faithfulness got us here. This comes with a warning, verse 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget. Here's the danger. Here's the warning, church. If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And so there's this big warning given to the nation of Israel. 
Don't just run headlong into the promised land. Stop. Take inventory. Are you carefully obeying the commandments of the Lord? If not, do not take one more step. Have you sufficiently taken inventory of all that the Lord has done over the last 40 years? If not, stop. Do not take another step. He's warning us as a church, do not take another step. Do not take another step unless you've asked yourself these questions. And really, there's actually two options here. Did you notice the word multiply three times? There was another word that was expressed three times. It was the word perish, right? Here's the options, church. Here's the option, people of God. You forget the Lord, you'll perish. Listen, church, I love you. But if we can't worship God in here, okay, I'm telling you, we won't worship him over there. It'll be lip service. We can make the music really loud. We've got a really cool sound system. We've got a great new projector and screen. You're gonna be, it's gonna be vibrant. If you're watching from at home, it's gonna be super sharp and clear. But our worship will be in vain. Our worship will be on our lips, but our hearts will be far from him. As we think about being the community of Christ, the, the body of Christ, listen, if, if we don't get this right now, we'll be nothing more than a social organization over there. There's a ton of social organizations you can belong to. And they're a lot less expensive. They don't ask for 10% of your income or more. You can sleep in on Sundays because they do like Thursday night meetings. More geared to meeting your needs, making you comfortable, making you feel good about yourself. Right? If, we, if we lose sight of all that the Lord has done and, and our hearts are not ready to worship him, listen, the word of God says you'll cease to exist as a church. You may be a social organization, but you won't be a church. And not only that, there is absolutely no way we will live the mission he's called us to. You know what our mission will be? To make ourselves comfortable. Let's sing the songs we like. Let's preach the messages that make us feel good about ourselves, right? And that'll be our mission. Let's make ourselves feel good. And this is the warning that comes from God to his people as they step into taking hold of his promises. So I don't know all that God is doing in our church right now, but I believe he's at least doing this, giving us an opportunity to stop and to pause to take inventory. Have we sufficiently given him the glory for all that he's done? Are we being careful to obey all of his commands? And have we learned, truly learned, that we do not live off of what we can do for ourselves, but we live, we flourish by the very word of God. And so I'll lay those questions before you as a church today.